the lady herself, Megan, will be gracing theaters. <laughs> yeah, the re- I'm really uh, excited, actually. The remake of uh, Child's Play 2019. Chucky. Yeah, um, yeah, I guess I'm excited. It'll be fun. It's a January horror release, so I think uh, I'm going to have to be going to it with a particular... <laughs> you know tempered expectations yeah exactly <laughs> but uh no it's probably gonna be fun i think it's gonna be talked about which will be which will be a fun thing to to see it and take part in the discussion and yeah you know i just can't wait for that dancing scene it, i know it I'm, it enthralls me every time i see that trailer i hope it's more than the trailer i hope the trailer isn't giving away the best bits of it you know i don't know I, the, of the two trailers i've seen they they seem to give a lot away yeah for sure um, like you know I, what you're getting into when you when you go to see this yeah right you see like five of the kills basically like if you <laughs> piece it together you're like okay i know this happens at some yeah. point um but it's but no, good I'm, man. I'm, I'm pretty pumped honestly it is a a nice thing to just have horror schlock coming out in theaters getting theatrical releases like that's still pretty impressive. Honestly, horror is one of the only genres that's still kind of thriving in a theater setting right now, right? Like, uh, you got yeah. your big action superhero movie well, temple stuff, and then, like, horror. That's basically the, the two. Year, there were yeah. quite a few, like, horror... Um, I don't know the best word to say, but, like, you know, they were they were kind of stars of, yeah. the, of the year. You had Barbarian, Bodies, 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 Smile got a lot of good, you know, play. Scream 2022, Halloween Ends made some good money. Like, I don't think it made great money, but it, like, you know, did okay. Um, nobody liked it, of course, but, uh, except for me. <laughs> and even, like... There are, there are freaks like you out there. There are. There are, there are Corey lovers, for sure. Yeah. Um, I, and it's not that I don't <laughs> like Corey. <laughs> Corey's great. Uh, one of the horror icons of 2022. I mean that genuinely. Um, but uh, even like Prey. Along with Pete Davidson. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. Uh, I still need to see Prey. Prey, like, it was direct to Hulu, but there was a lot of kind of like criticism for not putting it in theaters. Uh, and yeah. even though I was very, very mixed on that movie, like, I should have gone to fucking theaters. Like, I mean, it would have, I think it would have done great. People were ready for like, horror franchises making their comebacks you know what i mean like this this last year right uh so and many the of them other thing that plays very well is the spectacle movies mm-hmm. and i'd like to just briefly talk about because i know after reading your letterbox review it was a very i don't know it, it i started thinking it's like are we even friends he doesn't <laughs> like funny games he didn't like <laughs> a way of water look i even uh, i thought i thought we bonded over a, you know a lot of things and these this is just showing me i i don't know who you are i don't see you i don't know what it is man i've been drinking the haterade lately just this past month in this podcast i've just been like disliking everything we watch wasn't like a giant fan i liked tar tar is okay i i need to watch tar again i'm going to give that a second chance um didn't like Avatar: The Way of Water. Uh, look, I I did see I saw it. There are a couple caveats. Um, I did not see it in high frame rate or in 3D. It was a 2D screening, and it was uh, through my my work. We closed down the office and all went out to the movies to see Avatar. And it was a really small theater. It was a really bad projector and screen mm. the screen had a fucking tear right in the middle of it that was yeah, really distracting I, I probably would have walked out of that <laughs> well my coworkers are there and they paid for the whole thing and got us like <laughs> whatever i i had an edible i had a fucking frozen margarita on me i was 
keyed in to enjoy this thing. But the moment talking about we just before this this we started recording from exposition in movies, as soon as Jake's exposition kicked in, I was like, oh no, like just uh, uh, it was bad. Yeah, uh, I. I think it it got some of the worst stuff out of the way very, very quickly. And so I was able to, like, get back into it. When Sigourney Weaver, as Kira, says, Oh, was I doing it again? I think I literally let out a, (laughs) in the theater. (laughs) Like, I I was shocked how, like, jarring that was. Mm. Um, But it brought me around. I... You gotta see it in 3D. Like that's the reason. I jury's out if I will. Experience we'll the world. The other caveat I'm, is I'm gonna go 40x uh, in like two days. Nice. So I'm I'm ready again. The other caveat is I was starting to experience COVID symptoms, and so you know, at, by the end of the screening, I was a little miserable. Um, no. I think partly because of the movie, and partly because of like the the sore throat that I was that was getting worse and worse throughout it. Like, but I, I just I think for me that exposition set the template of like, ooh, this dialogue is rough, and it never redeemed it for me beyond that. Because, like, mm-hmm. just any line, any character spoke, I was just like, fucking yikes. Like, something about the read on that, or just the way that sentence is written and delivered, I'm just like, this is... It was, like, dire to me throughout most of the movie. I, again, once we got past that Sigourney Weaver part, I was like, okay, fine. I'm, yeah. <laughs> You got the most egregious thing out of the way, so I I just can enjoy it throughout um, it, man. I just was like another I'd line to line. I was like, Jim, you got thirteen years, man. <laughs> like, and this is what you go with. Like, oh boy, this is what you chose. Yeah, yeah. and I no, and I reading your letterbox, I agree. There was a lot of parts like it took me way too long to realize realize who like um, Kate Winslet, yeah, was supposed to be. And I was like, well, I guess that's the only person she could be, so it must be Prego I just, over there. And, you know, and it's entirely possible that, like, it was literally just the format I'm seeing and it is not conducive to, like, really sell you on what makes the movie good. Um, But that being said, I don't know. I just, I wasn't, like, blown away by just the kind of, like, seeing it the way I saw it, it just, like, it didn't impress me at all. You know what I mean? It yeah. just looked like CGI I stuff. after two hours i was having to remind myself this is not real right so i i was completely immersed i i can understand being in the that situation that you were in not being very conductive to right losing yourself in the in the story yeah i don't know i think even then just like the story is just not interesting enough to me to really like pull me in it really isn't it really is just like i don't know and look i i'm not trying i i like i love escapism just as much as the next person um and i know this is escape is this is what i like it's escapism with a message and a good message it's like an anti-colonial thing environmental all this stuff but it was just kind of weighing on me at times too of like they really are just blue native people aren't they <laughs> there's really not a lot of creativity yeah. and thought into that culture like it's kind of just nuts and it's like jim i appreciate it man indigenous ally like cool but also just like you could be a little more creative when you're trying to mask, you know what I mean? Like your your uh oh what you're taken from. That being said, I I think uh, I probably will see it again in a better format. Just to really give it the full, you know what I mean, credit for what the, I recommend that. Yes. For all the effort that the artist put into it and everything, like I I think it would probably it will probably make a difference. 
Yeah. Uh, just going back to what I said, I think my favorite part of the movie was, mm. was when Tuck, at the very end, when she, like, got oh. uh, captured again, and her right. line was like, oh, I can't believe I got tied up again. I was just like, yay, I love it. It's so funny. It was a little, it was cute, but also I was like, I mean, you're kind of calling out the repetition of this whole movie. <laughs> like... <laughs> You know, by the third, <laughs> like, by why like, it's three hours? There's like yeah. three times where they're like holding a gun to a family member's head, being like, you know, give up or we shoot your family member. And I'm like, we just did this like minutes ago. <laughs> we did um, this in the first hour. Yeah, we did it hour two. We're coming back again. I also just kind of thought, and it, it could have just been again the the presentation of it, the really bad projection. Um, even my coworkers who liked the movie said, yeah, the, it looked like shit to us. Like that projector was awful. But uh, I couldn't really just like. I couldn't, I was mad that they hit our boy, uh, Stephen Lang's face with, uh, just all that CGI the whole movie, you know? Well, that's what you expect. I, yeah. I think one of the things I really wanted was, uh, one of his Marine buddies had a tattoo, like, yeah. made on his avatar. Yeah. What I really wish had happened was that Stephen Lang... Had the scars. You know, it, it, right, in, like, grappling with yes. who I am as a person, that he was like, no, give me those scars, they they made me who I am. Yeah. Um, with, I'm with, hoping maybe he does that in three. <laughs> like, he just shows up and he's got the scars. Without going again. into too much detail, they they kind of pull a little bit of a don't breathe, too, with his character. <laughs> or that seems like they were going to in a moment, in, in a couple times. They try. They yeah. try. Which, we gotta, you know, we gotta wait till Avatar 4 for that to happen. I don't think I loved the way it was done, but I kind of, I don't hate the idea, you know? Like, mm-hmm. what they were kind of leaning, like, what they're kind of, like, hinting towards for him. I, I don't know. I walked out and I was like, I can't wait another two years. It's going to be amazing. Uh, okay. Well, you know, let's have to see. Like, I, I don't take any pleasure in disliking movies. Like, it's, it, it, <laughs> if you, if, if someone has only listened to this past month in this podcast, like. No, no, no. I can see the grin on your face right now. Hey, look, back when it was. <laughs> the hand ringing. Back when it was me, you, and, and Kill, I was the, the positive one. I was the one who fucking liked everything. Oh, man. <laughs> And now back to another well, movie. <laughs> that I... Well, maybe you'll like it. As you had uh, hit on before, Megan is going to be a remake of the Child's Play 2019. We are in a new month, a new year, so we have a new theme. We're going to be talking about New Year, New Look, a month all about remakes of movies we've already covered on this podcast. And we're going to start with the movie we covered last week, 2007. <laughs> Funny Games, directed by Michael Haneke. Greg, yep. Did you find any more any anything else about this movie? Watching it in English with a different cast, um, did it did it strike you any differently from the the previous viewing? Yeah, I, I, there's a little bit. There's a few things. I think that it absolutely in its casting is making different choices, and the idea of it being a shot for shot remake of this type of movie is, is interesting. And I do think adds a weird layer to this whole thing. Um, in this movie, that is about artifice, right. And questioning the reality of fiction and things like that. To literally just redo the same movie beat for beat, like nearly line for line, nearly shot for shot is a really fascinating idea when you're talking about this type of story, especially that it's the same director. Yeah. Who is, particularly choosing we could we could talk about like other remakes 
There have been other shot for shot. One of the most famous is Psycho, mm-hmm. um, which was not done by Hitchcock. But <laughs> no. though Hitchcock did also remake a whole movie of his, The Man Who Knew Too Much. He did it right. in the 30s and then he updated it. 50s or 60s with, with Stewart? Yeah, somewhere around uh, there. Which is a real favorite of mine. I, I love that Jimmy Stewart one. It's which, got one of the like best endings for a movie. Right. Uh, I have not seen it yet. I think I own it on a Ooh. nice big Alfred Hitchcock Blu-ray collection I own. So I'll have to pop it in great. soon. Um, you know, January, at this end of the year, January, like this, this late December time, I always get the hankering for like old, old movies. Um. I, I try to watch a bunch of black and white shit at the end of the year. I don't know. Um, Which is why you just watched Nightmare Alley, the 2021 version. Th- yeah, exactly. Well, I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna follow it up with the old one maybe later tonight. But um, uh, yeah. Anyway, what was I? Uh, oh yes. So it, it kind of made sense back in the day to remake your own movies like that because wasn't was the original? It wasn't one of his silent movies, was it? I don't believe so, but I don't think it it had big play when it came right. out. It didn't have big play, and I think it was probably it was in black and white. I think, and so to redo I it, so. to redo it with like the that twenty year jump in technology from like the thirties to the fifties um, makes a lot of sense because like film came a really long way in that time. This is only ten years between the two funny gameses, and uh, it's from the nineties to the two thousands. Nowhere near as much of a jump, but this is a case. I don't know, where Greg. Nine eleven. That's true. Does 9-11 add a lot to this for you? I don't... No, not, not at all. <laughs> I, you know, there, there's an idea of terrorism, and terrorism was more, like, in the zeitgeist at that time. That's true. I'm, in 97, like, there... there it's also a post... This is also... Terrorism. This one is coming out in a post-Columbine world, too, which I was seeing, like... That first one, I guess people, like, have made the, the connection between... Even though it predated Columbine, like... The connection between, like, these two young men... You know what I mean? Right. Who are out to, like, cause misery and uh, death, you know? And what are their motives? And why has this happened? And what does it say about us and violence in media? Et cetera, et cetera. So it is definitely a movie that I think was, if it's going to get this kind of treatment, it, it if any movie is, is going to get this type of treatment, Funny Games makes a lot of sense, is what I'm saying. Right. Even though I don't like either movie. <laughs> um Yeah. I do think they are very interesting, is what I will say. Uh, mm-hmm. That wins them some points for me, because the, the ideas behind them are interesting. I just find execution lacking in a lot of ways, you know? Uh, I realize we haven't even really introduced the no, podcast, we, so let me do that yeah. real quick. <laughs> uh, this is The Weekly Podcast Massacre. I am your host for this week. My name is Michael from Portland. Everyone calls me Murphy. I have a lovely co-host with me. And I am Greg from Los Angeles. Yes. And uh, it is interesting that it is... uh, It seems that he originally wanted it to be an American production, was not able to get the traction that he was hoping for, and so made it in Austria. Yeah. And then, you know, had had more traction uh, 10 years later and decided to remake it English- uh american cast well i guess naomi watts is not american right She's neither like is tim roth australian yeah t- that's what i was about to say tim yeah. roth is not i believe the two men are michael pitt oh let's go through it real quick sure uh tim roth is george farber we have naomi watts as Anne. we have devin gearhart as georgie 
There's Michael Pitt as Paul, and then we have Bradley Corbett, Corbett as Peter, also known as Tubby, also known as Tom, yep. also known as Unibrow <laughs> by me. And Beavis. Right, and Beavis, yes. Did you notice the Unibrow? Because it was oh, yeah. extremely distracting for I, me. I kind of have a lot to say about their looks, yes. Uh, but yes, very distracting. Um, we yes. also have... Fuck, uh, the, I, I, the work, we'll, we'll get to them. We'll get to them when they come up in the story, because okay, okay. I do want to talk about them separately. We yes. do have two bigger character actors mm-hmm. that, uh, I mean, just, they stand out to me. Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, but uh, I guess we don't really have anything to talk about, like, differences. Because, as you said, it is almost a shot-for-shot remake. Uh, it's the director. He wrote it as well. So he's able to write the dialogue. He's the one translating it. Uh, I, I There were a few changes I noticed, but that's probably more... Like translation? Right. Versus the person who did subtitles versus him, the director himself. Yeah. What he was trying to say. Yeah. Um, again, it's interesting to me. It's, it makes it... It made it feel more play-like. You know what I mean? You're like, oh, mm. you know, different production, different cast kind of a thing, but the same story. Like, so, you I know, I didn't consider that. That's very interesting. Yeah, actually. I thought it was cool in that way. And he as always he said, too, about the first one. He, he always he made it like intended for American audiences. Like his whole point about violence in media is pointed at America. And so, yeah, um, it's interesting. I think if I had to pick one, I would prefer. I might pick the original, though. Yeah. Uh, but that's just me. I, mean, I agree. There's just something yes. about it. You know, I feel like it comes down to the two boys who are, I, that's to me the biggest difference is the mm. two perpetrators, uh, Peter and Paul. Like, there's a vast I, difference in them. I, I agree with that. I, I think I prefer like 95% of the acting in the original. Yes. I actually think that Junior does a better job in the remake see i don't, I don't I, know i'm gonna disagree that i think i think they're both great but i think the original to me had something more to him that landed the original seems like is more lacking and stuff even with looking at like his reactions in the car in the very beginning right versus what we get in the american one like he he seems more animated more um like a real person and not just like big eyes sitting in the back seat but also when they do the bet he seems to have more like recognition of what is going to happen. Sure. Uh, the one in Austria is just like, it is almost a blank slate most of the time. Like it's just terror. I think one of the just like aesthetic differences is the dog breed. Yeah, that's true. Which uh, uh, we made, have a, that made like it more German upsetting shepherd? to me. It's like a German shepherd in the original. Yeah. In the original, this was a golden retriever. Yeah. Uh, I did look it up. Rolfie, the name of the original one, means wolf. Mm. Uh, they just named this one Lucky. Yeah. Which, which is not very lucky. It's a little, it? yeah, it's a little ironic, which I kind of, I kind of mm-hmm. don't mind that. Um, Although Wolf could be a reference to the these two guys. You know what I mean? They're kind of like, they're moving in it's for a good the point. prey, all that kind of stuff. Um, do we want to, let's, I think we should talk about that cast. Do you want to talk about that casting or do you want to go through the plot? How do you want to do it? Uh, I was going to say one thing that we should discuss is that it, along with being, you know, shot for shot, is he remade the house from the original yes. one. I mean, look, as much as I don't enjoy these two movies, like, the the technical craft of that first one is already impressive. Um, you sent me a video of like side by side 
comparisons and the house i mean it was literally built from the same blueprints as the original house like it is the same house and it's incredible and it looks amazing and it is such an impressive feat to pull it off like to just not only just like recreate every shot perfectly but just like yeah it's it's pretty amazing it's not it's not easy it can't couldn't have been like a simple thing to do even even down to there's like a giant quilt hung up on the wall like right outside of the kitchen and like it's it's not the same pattern but it, it's the same idea right um, uh continuously one of one of the random ones i noticed is in the original one when george comes in he takes off a shoe original one he doesn't wear socks and <laughs> roth is wearing socks <laughs> my mind that, is just that must be in, for like that must be an Austrian differences thing, you know i think so yeah right that's funny um I do think some of the lighting's different from my memory. I didn't have time to watch that yes. full video, but like when she's on her knees doing the prayer, the lighting is much more yes. like I, I'd say it's more expressionist in the new one. Like it's less natural. I, I noticed in the uh, in that video when they're at the very end on the boat, like it is much much more like muted and gray yeah. in in the new one. Right. Um, it's probably Long Island versus it, Austria. Just the weather. Yeah. <laughs> sure sure uh but it is re- like as we keep saying shot for shot like the plot is precisely the same we have yeah. uh an affluent family whose vacation home is by the lake uh as they drive in they they're saying hi to their neighbors and the neighbors are acting a little odd because two men in uh you know white kind of tennis outfits are are there everything's kind of odd they ask hey can you come help us out in 20 minutes uh we're launching the boat i just thought of another big difference was the short length of i was gonna say they fucked up on the costuming immediately if you're going shot for shot you gotta take like two inches off those shorts man come on michael come on (laughs) i'm a i'm a big fan of michael pitt but yeah i i definitely prefer uh was it peter furch or yeah, something, something like, like that, that. it oh, see it, it's interesting i thought I, he gave such he gave better readings of these same lines i think i prefer michael pitts slightly because it's complicated i did say i preferred the original which is i think true overall but i do think michael pitt is less annoying which i know the character is supposed to be a little annoying okay but i yeah. feel like he's a little more interesting to me the other guy didn't read as young as michael pitt does too and i think like the softness of michael pitt and um uh brett brady, brady Cor- corbett corbett yeah i think corbett, the, yeah. i think like the softness of them adds something a little more sinister to this and a little more upsetting the other one uh the the original paul read to me as older and a little more like i don't know weaselly does that make sense okay um and it was and he was Michael a little Pitt more has some charm yes to him yeah the other guy was just like i don't know he kind of just looks skeevy from the get-go you know what i mean well and the original one is like as you know thin as a twig yes and michael pitt's like not not big, not Which, heavy, but he's 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 bigger built. The tubby thing made even less sense in his version too, because yeah. it's like, dude, Brady Corbett is like he's in such great shape. Are you fucking kidding me? Like, yeah, right. <laughs> the the original Peter definitely was a bit was a bit tubby, but like not, he was static, you know, yeah. over the top, right? right. And I prefer I prefer um, the original Peter. I think the original Peter is actually, uh, yeah, I wouldn't say a lot better than Brady. Cor- he's better though. 
but he is better. I I enjoyed all of the originals readings on that. I did not think Brady Corbett did a great job. No, at all. And there was looks, like one or two parts I was like, aside okay, from the unibrow, he um, looks too similar to to Paul. A little know? bit, a little bit. They definitely had better differences in their appearances in the original. I think one of the of the only parts I really liked of uh, Brady Corbett was when. Um, Paul's calling him fat or something, and he like starts tickling him, and like the way he's laughing, yes, I like. I it. thought was 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 good. Yeah, yeah. Hey, look, just like the original, there's there's so much of this I do appreciate, and yeah. I think the performances all around are so good. And you know what? It is so well made for the most part that like I do want to watch other Haneke stuff now. I oh, that's that's going to be on my list. I really yeah. want to check out a lot more Haneke. Uh, they just released in December. Criterion did a whole like Michael Haneke trilogy, right? And so when the uh, sale goes on in February, I'm probably going to pick that up. Um, there's one I heard about. Uh, I was listening to a different podcast yesterday. I'll shout it out: the best little horror house in Philly. I've talked about it before. Um, but they did an episode on on this movie, the remake of Funny Games, that uh, was great. A great episode about that. Um, but they were talking about another movie he did called Benny's Video that really sounds... I believe that's in the, the set. Okay, yeah. cool. So I'll probably pick up that set, too. It's a good idea. But um, that one maybe sounds fucking crazy, and I, I feel like and I'm going to see that. And I think, if I remember correctly, Benny in that movie is the Paul in the original Funny Games. Oh, interesting. Cool. I liked it. Because he he had worked with most of those actors before, and that's when he yeah. brought them back. Um, you said something, and I, I kind of want to get into it now, because it really is on the top of my notes. I was going to get into it much, much later, because uh, there's even a more egregious part. I actually don't think Tim Roth is right for this part. He... The accent throws me off yeah. every single time. Um, I actually wrote a list of of actors Ooh. that I would consider more. Okay. Um, so let's, let's just go through it real quick. Uh, what about Ethan Hawke? Oh, He's yeah. doing uh, The Purge in like six years. So this this would be pre-Purge. So he's but, not overdoing the, the home invasion aspect. And he can, he can do that like kind of upper class, like, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. rich. I, I basically was looking for actors right around that age range of uh, Tim Roth. Yeah. Uh, I picked out all, I picked out six more. Stanley Tucci. Oh, dude, that'd be fantastic. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Ray Fiennes. The accent might be, if you're going for American... Yeah, he, I know he can do an American accent. He can obviously change his but He, he might he, be a little too tall. Yeah. He especially always, with Naomi. But he always reads to me as not American, you know? Okay. Yeah. Uh, Johnny Depp. That At this point, he might be keyed in enough. I think there'd be something... I, you know, I'm thinking like uh, Secret Window. Yeah, what's era, happening around 2007, you know? though, for Johnny Depp? Like, he's deep it, in Pirates movies, I think, right? Right. Right. So it would have been a very... Big stretch for Haneke to get him, but I was, you know, he's I think so, it might be too right late for range. his for his type of acting persona, though. You know what I mean? I think maybe that's true. Yeah, uh, Guy Pierce. That's good. That's a good one. I love Guy Pierce. Mm-hmm. I'm in for that. Uh, one of my favorites of all time, Jeffrey Dean Morgan. Oh yeah, yeah. Maybe he knocks it out of the park almost every single time. Does he ever play like low status though? I feel like he doesn't well, do that is, too often. Is George supposed to be low status? 
I but he's he, he's made now, low status. I think that's part of it. Is that yeah? It's it's supposed part of it is that he's supposed to be like somewhat flaccid, right? Ultimately, you learn right. how ineffective he is, how little control he has. Yeah, yeah, flaccid, flaccid is a good word. Yeah, I don't think you could maybe read him as not being as commanding. Yes, or like reserved enough. I think that's what does work about, about it again. Tim Roth. Is that Rick Roth? Like he can. I don't think I think you're right. I think there's probably a better choices for this character, but I, I did like him, and I thought that he had a lot of great reactions throughout it, and kind of that just like hang dog I've given up look at a certain point. I thought right. Roth did pretty well, but not as well as the, I think the original guy was 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 much better. It's it was when um he he did the crying part, yeah, like in the in the really long take. I was like, eh, I don't know, and not then when good. he's on the phone like after that, and he's like, I'm George Farber. <laughs> uh the the last one i had written down george clooney oh man dude that would have been fantastic i think that would have been really good that would have been like powerful too to like have just this actor that we associate with confidence and like swagger and you completely yeah. remove all of that from him throughout the whole movie uh, like yeah i feel like this would have been descendants around that time uh, maybe i feel like that was a little, i feel like a descendants was a little bit later maybe like isn't it um Maybe Michael, like Michael Clayton, right? I think Michael Clayton is this year. Ooh. Which is, I mean, a personal favorite of mine. You can... Not seen it. I've only seen the beginning Ugh. of a screenwriting class. <laughs> oh my god, you, you gotta see it. I mean, okay. Tilda Swinton's great. And yeah. then, oh, it the his name is escaping me right now. Um, he's in the Batman Begins movie as uh, the gangster. Shit, um, what's his name? Not Eric Roberts. No, no, it's not Eric Roberts. That's in Dark Knight. Oh yes, that's right. Um, um I know who you're talking about. Michael not Michael right. something, right? No, I don't think so. Paul but in Michael Clayton. No, no. But in Michael Clayton, he has like one of the best monologues of all time while he's holding a giant bag of baguettes. <laughs> I think maybe I've seen that clip actually. No, nobody can hold baguettes like this guy, and I, I'm so mad that I cannot remember his name. He did a great HBO movie with Jessica Lange, where he revealed that he was transgendered, and he is like transitioning along with his wife. What's his name? You looked it up. Tom Wilkinson. Tom Wilkinson. Yeah. Tom and Paulson. What the fuck am I thinking? Why did that come to mind? <laughs> uh, actually, it's funny. One of my alt uh, Reddit accounts is Wilkinson's Baguettes. So I should... <laughs> yeah, how did you forget? Okay. Yeah, I know. I know. Um, but so... I, I like... But I think you're right. I do agree they could have been a better choice over Tim mm-hmm. But what do we think? I mean, mm-hmm. look, we did go over the whole plot last week. I mean... I, that's why I wasn't going to hit it note yeah. for note. But I... As much as I think the original, was it Suzanne Lafar? I want to say yes. was her name. Yeah, that's correct. As Anna. I am so in love with Naomi Watts. I mean, I don't me think too. she could do no wrong. And she's fantastic in this. Yeah, yeah. You know, uh, in my Twin Peaks watch, we just were in season three now. We had just gone... Uh, the la- Past second Dougie. to last second like... to last episode I watched was introduction of Janie E. Okay, yeah, uh, and holy shit, she is so so good in the return, just like an absolute killer performance, and what a fantastic character and everything. Um, 
also queen of the remakes i mean king kong uh funny games good night mommy um i feel like there's a lot more right the ring yeah like she um, she really does she like uh loves loves being in remakes <laughs> i guess yeah yeah that's fun i mean i my favorite and will always be mulholland drive she gives such an incredible a, like amazing performance in that movie oh yeah yeah um amazing in that in like a real breakout role for her she was like really struggling getting work at that time and like i think was considering like leaving acting right um before like lynch before gave getting her this that big role break. yeah yeah uh, yeah good thing lynch saw what he saw in her yeah also also uh suzy rabbit from rabbits you know can't yeah forget. yeah yep. <laughs> uh i have i have in my notes man oh man can naomi smoke a cig oh yeah that too man yeah she pulls it off she's great um it's tough she to see her hair down i mean i really i really love suzanne lathar in the original i thought she was absolutely killer i do think in you this gave one the massey to her i did yeah i do think in this one because it is something i've already seen done and i thought the original was so good at feeling naturalistic in the acting of the parents of a uh, of peter and ann or not peter george and ann something about both roth and watts in this one felt more like inauthentic rehearsed rehearsed yeah you know probably because watts is a more recognizable actor to me so i just have this image of her you know what i yeah. mean like and i literally had just watched twin peaks and saw her in that and as Janie e so i was still having it you know but something about it i feel i feel like i lost a little bit in that sense you know what i mean but mm-hmm. also like i said i don't know if this was haneke's point in remaking this shot for shot line for line but it does add a whole layer of artifice that like when you get to that final discussion they're talking about on the boat about fiction versus reality it does kind of add more fuel to that fire you know what i mean in a meta sense of like we really have seen this before. Is this happening any? Is this any less real than the original? Right. You know what I mean. Um, like, yeah. And in in the so, I have I have watched both movies two times. That's a wild in recent weeks. So I have I have seen this story play out four different times. Uh, this most recent one, literally an hour before we finished or started recording. Um, the ending came up, and as they're talking about reality and everything, the thing that started striking upon me uh, is the allegory of the cave, Plato's the cave, mm. and what is reality for us? If we see something presented to us and we don't know any better, is that not reality? If we yeah. chained people up in a theater and then put on funny games, they'd had no other reference to a movie they've never gone outside you know and we showed them funny games would that not be reality to them basically the point that he's trying to make right totally um and that's the thing it's just i guess i think just again playing into the like the illusion of it all with this remake you know what i mean where he says he made it just like oh it's how i originally wanted to do it it's actually a message intended for american audiences as far as i've read he hasn't addressed that meta aspect of it in terms like relating to that idea of fiction versus reality but i think it is fucking fascinating and as i'm talking about this it makes me appreciate the movie on another level will this be a case of me bumping my score up because of talking about it we'll have to see 
I st- <laughs> like I said, I did find the meta parts of this less obnoxious, and I think a big part of that is Michael Pitt versus the original guy. Maybe that you're also expecting at this time. Also expecting it, and I think I think Haneke does downplay it compared to the other one because like. Um, that first moment it happens when you have him outside with the dog. Yes. Not it's not is, a wink. It's not a wink. It's a it's a sly smile, which to me is way less irritating. Um, it's a it's a good old smirk. Yeah, that shot is also set up differently. The car is on a different side of the frame and everything too, which is interesting. Yeah. Um, so not a, not a smirk, or not, I mean, it's not a wink. It's a smirk. The uh, the rewinding scene. He's less bombastic in his reaction too. I still think it's really stupid, um, but he, he like is screaming in the other one, like "Where's the remote?" And it's like instantly in this one, right. he kind of laughs for a moment and then takes a second to do it. He's not in like yeah. as much of a rush. It felt like, um, which I thought to me was pretty interesting. Like he's obviously aggravated, but he wasn't like as frantic. Uh, and then the ending, just it, again, there's still a slight smile, but just something about his face is less like cartoony to me than the original guy and so i think the meta parts did bother me less here's the other thing though i like the original i talked about there's that 10 minute sequence with that unbroken cut i was like it was it was good you're sitting the emotion of it it just kind of gets a little stale to me at a certain point loses its magic as it just goes on and on and on to me this time it's crazy to me you watch this four times in a row because this movie feels five hours long um the story, the both movies. Uh, but that whole sequence after they leave, after shooting Georgie, it is so dull to me. It gets so dull. It starts really? out good with, yeah. it starts out good with them sitting in the misery of it and all that stuff. I, I, I understand that both, uh, Suzanne Lathar and Naomi Watts give incredible performances in that moment. Um, Roth, not as good as the original guy, but still effective enough. No, sadly. Um, but then as you just go on with them trying to get out, blow drying the phone, you know, searching for the going to the car, it just, it carries on for so fucking long. And I think knowing this time what was coming up, I'm just like, I'm so sick of this. Like, I know they don't get away. I know they're going to get come back and everything's, it, to me, it just made it so much more fucking boring this time. <laughs> like, knowing I, the ending. I think it's a, it's a bit different as... Um... In this new one, it seems to take more for Naomi Watts, the the Anne Anna yeah. character, to like get up. Like she has more of a struggle in in doing that, and it uh, it's also interesting. In the original, she's like in a a night slip, or she I don't she's know wearing less. She's yeah. And Naomi Watts just has bra and panties, which I'm which not going to complain about. Apparently, but... was Naomi Watts' suggestion, according to oh A&B. really? Okay, yes. Um, interesting. Yeah, and she was also she was thirty nine when making this. Like, she looks incredible. I know. Uh, no jelly rolls. <laughs> no jelly at rolls. all. Um, uh, <laughs> I was saying that's a difference too. Yeah, that she obviously she gets more. Uh, she's reveals more sooner than Suzanne Lothar does. Um, also, too, if we're just kind of talking about differences here and there, that the shotgun blasts on on Peter. It's so much more cartoonish in this one. Like he oh, he's gets, like launched. He is the launch backwards. Happens. Yes, yeah, yeah. 
Um, it kind of looks like the scene in the... Grown Ups 2 when Shaq throws a guy over a house. Like, that's how far he flies. You know? <laughs> I have not seen that, but I have heard about that. They talk about From it Dumb on Doughboys. Doughboys. Yeah, like, Mitch. It's, it's a funny moment. Mitch brings it up all the time, yeah. One of the things I'd had in my note is it, the the turn from when she, Naomi's asking them to leave, it comes a bit more out of nowhere in this one. But I do think that Roth plays it better, the, like, confusion. To, like, like anger. hold on, I'm, I'm trying yeah. to understand what's happening. I'm not trying to be on anyone's side. I just want to know what's going on. That was a weird moment where his accent kind of threw me though. Cause he says, he says some kind of turn of phrase of like, well, I can't arbor. I can't be arbor. I play arbor if I don't want the facts. Do I? And something about it right. seems so British when he said it. Like, yeah. <laughs> uh, one of the other differences is when Anne and Paul go to look for the dog. Uh, Peter says it's getting cloudy when in the original he's like, the sun's coming out again. They also don't like, do weird, the uh, weird differences. They also don't do the funny games title drop, which kind of bummed me out. They don't. Yeah. yeah. He says it's like an odd way to play or yes. some, something along that line. Which I wonder if that's just the translation. Like he just didn't, he just translated it like without a thought of preserving the line yeah. or something. Another thing that I had written down, I don't believe we talked about it, but uh, in the other one is that as they are infiltrating uh, this family, there are times when I think it's usually Peter is saying something about the neighbors and he'll say like, Emily, excuse, I mean, Mrs. Yes. Thing. Like, it's a really good way to unsettle them, to give the, the air that like they're fr- friendly with those neighbors, but they don't want to like instill that to naomi and tim like they want to be like oh i'm respectful to these people right exactly but we know them we're, we're good enough we know them well enough to call we're them first, first name, name. basis yes. yes yeah yes but i'm i'm being a polite gentleman in in giving the last names yeah yeah i will say i think something that these two actors sell a little better than the original is that they are also high class um you know what i mean I feel like they have that air of rich kid about them more inherently than the other two did. I think the original Peter or Fatty. Yeah. Well, another another change is he's not calling him Fatty. I mean, it could be it's translation, tubby. but he yeah. says Tubby mm-hmm. instead. Um, I I think the original Peter has has more of an like aristocratic air to him kind of. than Paul. Yeah. But I think I think both of these, yeah, you could you, they're like very preppy looking yeah besides the eye the unibrow something i didn't know until i was um looking at the trivia for this movie these are actually these two characters are based off of real life murderers i read that as well because it was also mentioning how pitt played in the murder He's by this, numbers movie yeah which the is same also character, based, based, off based on the same people. person right yeah um so they are leopold and loeb is kind of their like what they're commonly known as uh, okay, Nathan, I, I know this. Yeah. yeah, Nathan Leopold and Richard Loeb, they were two, they were 19 when this happened um, in like 30 Chicago, I think it was. Uh, they both, they kidnapped and murdered a child, like a 15 year old boy, um, sent a fake ransom note, uh, all under the auspices of like, hey, we can commit the perfect murder let's just kill somebody and get away with it. And they got caught within days. Like it really did not pan out well for them. 
Um, but reading into the story, it is pretty chilling. And, and I think it's interesting then talking about this movie because like the idea of the motivelessness, like their backgrounds don't matter type of thing, which is really interesting because these were two very wealthy, well-educated young men. Like they were both going to University of Chicago. They were both like known as like preternaturally intelligent and smart and like multi-talented. They, one of them, I think they both were tennis players. Um, and so they kind of really threw out, especially in, a, in the day and age, really threw out the idea of like the criminal background. You know what I mean? Or like the like the the like criminal mind. Like oh, you know, criminals are always low class. They're always like dumb. They're always like right. uneducated. They're from the lower ends of society. That kind of thing. And here comes these two men to completely disprove that instantly because of their backgrounds yeah. and their wealth and like their status. And so I I think that. Uh, Again, talking about relating it back to like the true crime of the era, to the Columbine kids, to like fucking um, the other two I thought of instantly in the first one. I don't know if I mentioned it was the fucking Menendez brothers. Uh, I was gonna say that as well. Yeah, yes. it is like a weird archetype, like these these pair of like young, fairly intelligent, like shithead young men. Who well, kill. if we remove the intelligence, I mean, we're basically describing Don Jr. and Eric. <laughs> oh, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Right? I guess maybe that's it. Just like this kind of high society, like, psychopaths, honestly. Yeah. Which makes you wonder how, how they came about. Right. Again, they there's no motive why, why not. Um, you gotta just, wonder, like, what was their upbringing ex- exactly like? It is just this, there's a strange air about all of these people we've mentioned. Menendez Brothers, uh, you know, Klebold, and I forget the other one. Um, but all of them. And, uh No, no, no. I mean the Columbine oh, okay. boys. Yeah. Uh, but Loeb and, and Leopold, like just between all of them, there's this air of like false or sense of superiority. And like they were above humanity to the point where it's like we can kill and it doesn't mean anything. It's It's, you know, there's a nihilism to them. That is so fucking disturbing to me, um, as somebody that can be pretty it, nihilistic at times. Like, <laughs> it, it it reminds me of kind of what he was saying in in the interview that I watched of like how they enjoy it, like like an innocence, yeah, quote unquote, to it, like child pulling off the legs of the bug. Like, you are obviously superior than a bug. You don't feel bad about yeah. doing that, even though it's very horrific. And maybe that's something that bumps me about this movie, especially with that rewind thing, because it's like these guys believe themselves to be so above all of humanity. And then the rewind thing comes along and now they're above, like, even the well, reality of this film. Like, it's, it's kind of nuts. Of physics and, yeah, yeah. The, uh, they're in control of time. Well, then that's the whole thing about it's Paul is in control of all of this. Yeah. He is our narrator. He's he's the one giving it to us. That's why it, when it it breaks, it's him doing it. There's a time where Peter could be breaking to it, basically like, you know, don't forget about entertainment value. He could look to us and wink, but he doesn't. It's only Paul that does it. You get the um, sense that, like, that Peter, he is aware of this fourth wall, but he's somehow more afraid to, like, to break it. You know what I mean? Interesting. Yeah. It is kind of, it's kind of, it's kind of weird. Um, when he's the one at the end talking about reality versus fiction. Yes. Yeah. Maybe, maybe, no, maybe he's, he's scared to call that out because once 
once you do label that kind of stuff, like it, it, um, it traps you in it. Once he broke that fourth wall, he would know, oh, I'm the one in the movie. <laughs> I'm in control of this reality, yeah. but it's not actually reality. There's something outside. In, in the sense there's of, something you know, greater Plato's than cave, us. All that shit. There's something right. greater than right. I don't want to acknowledge. Yeah. Yeah. Hmm. Some some of the other differences. This is the, getting this is um, getting weird. <laughs> <laughs> uh, the the dog falling out. It's the same plopping, and it it is still disturbing. Something about it to me was more disturbing. Maybe it was the golden. I grew up a golden retriever, so it just could be it. But something with the limpness of the body to me seemed more genuine. I don't know. I liked it. it. I think the shot is closer up too. In my mind, the original, the shot is further away. Like she's kind of down. Both pretty far away. This one to me, red is closer. I feel like I could see more details about it or something. Um, As as Paul or Peter is flipping the television, uh, we see the fucking evildoer himself, Vladimir Putin. Things Mm -hmm. have not changed in fucking sixteen years. Still, still weirdly relevant. Yeah, (laughs) yeah. Um, And they they end on Talladega Super Speedway. So instead of like F one, it's just a big circle. Um, Um, Another. I do still really like the line. Don't you have any sense of timing? Yes. Uh, Which to me is interesting. Like something that. the host of Best Little Horror House pointed out when I was listening to the episode yesterday. Just that, like, the idea that sense of timing of it's like, well, in terms of, like, the audience, we've overloaded them with violence and despair. We have to kind of let, you know, we have to give them a break from us just in, to serve the story, really. You know, which I thought was is an interesting way to look at it. Something about the, um, the blood splatter on the TV was not as effective to me in this one. Maybe it's that hmm. idea of artifice yet again. Like, oh, I've seen this before. You know what I mean? And just something about it looked more production designed. I don't know. You know, saying this again made me think there was something I was going to say earlier. I, when I originally saw this, must have been 2007, 2008. Yeah. You know, I, I would have been 19, 20 at the time. Um, I did not really enjoy it. And in rewatching the original, or watching the original, I, I I think maybe I grew up a little bit. I'd had some more experience with art. I was more critical instead of just reactionary, and you know, yeah. I feel like I had a more appreciation to it. I was wondering if this would be something like along with you, even though it was like you know a week and change or whatever. But like the fact that you had already experienced it, you were able to. You've already digested it, and it's being presented to you again. Slightly different, but still the same themes, beats. Not performances, but, you know, a similar type of, of empathy put out. And you're still... you're still. Is it higher, <laughs> lower? Is it about the same? I mean, it's about the same, but it's for different reasons, about, weirdly. Okay. I feel like I'm less bothered by... The moralizing aspect, as I come to kind of understand Haneke's point a little more, I think, um, where maybe it's less judgmental than I initially perceived. Maybe it really is just like presenting these ideas and connections, right? Um, and thoughts. The mirror theory I was giving last week. You're just not happy with how you look at it, maybe. 
possibly i still think there's a little there's an aspect to it where i'm like all right fucking calm down dude like you know relax a little bit here like you know um i understand it's very it is very interesting it is an interesting revealing thing to interrogate our relationship with the violence in media and our tastes in violence and movies and things like that it is a very interesting look at i think i still slightly disagree with his kind of like thoughts about it when you read stuff in interviews and things like that but i'm less upset by it now i just think watching this version kind of cemented to me um how i really just would still prefer you scale back on that stuff by a lot you know um I think you trim some of the scenes where they're not around, too. I think it is way too long before they come back into the movie. And it's kind of that weird thing where it's like, well, do we want them to come back for the excitement? And what does that say, too? So you kind of need their absence to really make an impression, right? But I just still don't think I still think the movie could be more watchable in that space where they're not there. Mm. To me, it, it, be, it got so slow to me. It got so slow just waiting for them to come back. Yeah. And I think that just revealed to me like i'm just not enjoying this as much especially like i said because of the the change in casting with watts and roth as good as they do in parts of this movie to me it is a it still felt more artificial i still felt the pain more of the loss of the child in that original one i thought they sold the emotion so much better and it felt more genuine which really helped the movie overall so one of the points you made automatically was making me think of the fourth wall break of of Pitt turning and asking us, well, obviously you're on their side, right? Yes. Mm-hmm. Like, that, that, yes, as we're watching this, like, we, we do take sides. Yeah. But even in art, in something that we know is not real at all, we still want, like, a, a good outcome. We yeah. still put ourselves in these characters' positions, how they react, what I would do instead. Um... You know, I think something... it's a very interesting thing to 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 the the repetition of it makes us think about these things. Yeah, something about like, something about what you just said made me realize this. I'm just thinking this in the moment, but you have the moment. Uh, it it just didn't really stand out to me the first time, and of course, it did on a rewatch, just um, knowing what's coming later. But they the way they set up the knife on the boat is really fascinating to me. Now that I think about it more. Um, because it is a Chekhov's knife, right? Yep. You'd set up a weapon in the first act that is going to be used by the third act. And of course, he denies us that. But it's very interesting just even thinking about the name of that trope being Chekhov's gun. And the idea that we understand the storytelling idea via violence. Where it's like the idea that the gun has to go off. Like the weapon has to be used, Right. And is even that is furthering Haneke's point of a desire for violence. We see a weapon, we must see it used. Like, that's like a weird bloodthirsty part of our psychology. And I talked about it last week, too. Also, just like, expectations. Expectations, of, right. Of how right. we've been set up. Yeah, but it is just funny how we, how we relate that to each other. We say Chekhov's gun, we say Chekhov's blank, and we understand exactly what we mean. You know, we are still relating it through weaponry. Um... Which to me just a little interesting. Like we want this knife to be used on a person. You know what I mean? Like psychologically, our brain expects it. Like it's not even as much that we enjoy it. It's just like we anticipate it and know what's going to happen. Um, mm-hmm. fucking, We're built for it. 
this is this is what irritates me. Is that obviously Haneke is really fucking intelligent. I'm not saying he meant this whole Chekhov's gun thing, but just like <laughs> it's clear he he is very thoughtful about this subject and what he's talking about, and it allows us to be thoughtful about it too, because there is clear intent behind things and clear like um, you know what I mean, like uh, theories he's presenting to us and stuff like that. So like that's what's irritating about it. Is I want to like this more. I want to love this. And what it's talking about, and how it's talking about it, is really fascinating. I just think that it just there's stuff I get caught up in. Mm-hmm. Uh, we skipped over it, and since we're not really doing plot, let's let's circle back around to two actors that show up. Actually, three, because as, as it happens, after they're uh, looking for the dog, a couple other neighbors come up to the dock and start talking. Yep, and we have the great Shaban Fallon Hagen. Yes, as thank Betsy. you. Thank and you for saying her name so I didn't have to try. It was it was odd. I don't know if it was like the version I was watching, but there was like weird sound editing for her. It was like way too echoey when she's like coming on the boat. Yeah. Um, it it was weird. Uh but she might most famously be known as Edgar's wife from Men in Black. Yep. Who's the one that says you know Edgar suit. Edgar suit. Yep. Yeah. Uh, she's and great she's, in that. She's great in this. We have seen her previously on the podcast, and we need to talk about Kevin. Oh, yes, okay. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Returning champion. Um, her sister-in-law, that was also on the boat, I believe was Michael Haneke's wife. Yep, Suzanne Who says, Haneke. like, one line, walks away. Yeah. And then we have Robert Lapone. Did you pick up where you know him from? I looked as him up. As quick as I did. And I I know for a fact I did recognize him from something else, but I can't remember. I'm not remembering right now what else he's in. He is a neighbor. He is Doctor Kusamano. Oh my god! How did I from the Sopranos? I totally missed that. I missed that on IMDb. I like scrolled through it. I must have scrolled right past it. Shit. Mm -hmm. I I saw his face and I was like, I know what is it? What is it? It took me like three seconds. I was like, isn't he the doctor? He's great in Sopranos. And I had to look up the exact name. Good eye, because I did not recognize him at all from that shit. Yeah. Uh, There was another thing that was different. Hey, how is that for cast? Michael, uh, fucking James Gandolfini as as George. Mm. Too too physically intimidating, probably, but just, I don't know. What about the neighbor Fred? You know, the one that comes over. Gandolfini? Yeah. Yeah. That'd be good. It'd be fun. Yeah. I really like the makeup on Naomi for the bruises. I thought I thought that looked really good. Thinking of Gandolfini as a character named Fred <laughs> makes me want to see him play Fred Flintstone. Fred, oh, oh, yeah. uh, we 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 really could have had something great. Joey there. Joey Pants as Barney. <laughs> yeah, you know, I was thinking, well, what about Rick Moranis? I was like, no, he already that played. already happened. Yeah, yeah, but it's still pretty perfect casting. <laughs> Joey Pants would be good too. Mm-hmm. Um. Uh, I love the the makeup on Naomi. She puts on the same kind of weird big sweater without sleeves. Yeah, it's, but it's not the same sweater. It's still it's still odd. Um. They one thing I notice is they don't have to bother wondering about what the police number is. Oh, like in the Austrian one. That's right. You know what? That's the other thing too. Uh, talking about the numbers, like. The lack of a landline phone in both movies is really fucking bizarre. I guess in the original, it's a thing of, like, it's a status thing. 
The phone thing makes Maybe. even less sense to me in the new one, though. I think there's a throwaway line about how, like, oh, are you just not here enough to get use out of it? Maybe, yeah. But it still struck me as weird. Also, um, this was something I saw pointed out in a letterbox review of the original, and it's still true here. But it's very strange that when Georgie makes his run, that he the front door is locked from the outside. Like, what is going on there? Hmm. <laughs> like, why is this house locked from the outside? Why can't he open that front yeah, door? Yeah, I don't know. That's interesting. Yeah. Um, one of the things I was just thinking about is that they're, they're continuously off-putting with their politeness. And after they break George's knee and they're moving them into the living room, uh, Michael Pitt has them. He's like, hold on, hold on. Let me move some of this stuff away. Like, he's actively you know pushes the chair yeah. back the the coffee table let me let me give you some assistance so it's easier for you it's still just so off-putting like that the way that they are the whole time um i know i've been ragging on on roth a lot especially accent moments but i i think there is a really good moment he has after naomi leaves he's he's sitting there he's trying the phone um he picks up a baguette much like Tom Wilkinson. Uh, he takes a bite of it. And then he is like disgusted with himself or, or something. Or it's just, it's not as nourishing right. as he hoped. There, there's something going on. So he just like pulls it out of his mouth and throws it away. I, I thought that was just a really good acting, like emotional. He was in yeah. the moment. And then he says something into the phone. I'm like, oh my God, why'd Speaking you have to open of, um... your mouth? <laughs> speaking of eating things i totally forgot that peter at a certain point like eats an entire like fucking side of raw beef at one point it's just so uh, bizarre I think to it's me cold cuts i oh, think it's supposed okay. to be like salami i thought it was like what she was like, like cutting up earlier no no, it was, no. Like, it's, raw. it's it's much okay. thinner um i think it is just like sandwich deli meat uh we have pit coming in says player one level two Oh, right, right. Which is weird. Yeah. Yeah. Pitt seems to have more glee in, like, the pushing um, Naomi off the boat. Right. His Chow Bella is really bad. Chow Bella. Yeah. It's like... It, it, was, <laughs> it was awful, honestly. And then I wrote down this line, you know, getting to them talking about reality. And, and he says, uh, it's just as real seeing it on TV. And then the other one replies, bullshit. And the other one asks, why? Why is that bullshit? Again, kind of coming back to the, the Plato's allegory of the cave. If, if this is all you've experienced, if, like, if this is reality to somebody. Yeah. Whether it's these characters that we're watching, or if it is really us as the audience. <sighs> Man. It, I mean, it is fascinating. You know, I think about that a lot. Just like how... Uh, how we talk about a lot in terms of like horror movies and things too in um the use of cgi in recent stuff how we prefer to see it more practically done because it does seem more real right and I, that's exactly why terrifier and terrifier yeah. 2 did so well is that we like, want okay we're gonna give you what you want blood on all of the walls yeah um, and it's interesting talking about even just the start of the episode with Avatar, uh, about how seeing it 
in 3D high frame rate makes it more real, and you have to keep convincing yourself it's not real. And how this all feeds into Haneke's point too, just about media and like the moving image, right? Making your mind believing it's real and how we're actively seeking out being tricked and fooled right. and deceived into thinking that this this illusion is reality. Um, and what that says it again about us wanting to experience violence that way too. Uh, man, maybe he's he does have something here. <laughs> I, I will. I, I'm gonna. I'm gonna just full on say right now. Like I do think talking about it has improved my view of the movie. Um, but I'm trying to remember. Just like, hey, while you're watching it last night, you were dreadfully fucking bored at a certain point. Like dreadfully, just like I just wanted us to be done, and it carried on for another forty minutes. You know, um, I did think I saw weirdly the runtimes are. This one is slightly longer than the other one. I don't I, know what the I difference think would like be. Within two minutes, honestly. it's it's pretty. It's very close, but it might just be a hour forty-seven, hour for forty-nine, one. something yeah. like that. Yeah, maybe it is just credits because, like, I I didn't notice anything was like longer or shorter in either one, so it's hard to say. Um, but this thing, man, I I don't know if we want to get into final thoughts now, but like, I think I think we should. Uh, there's only one other line I had I wanted to kind of get out there is mm-hmm. when they are, um. Tubby walks away for a second, and when when Paul is like searching for the kid, and Naomi's like trying to get her her tight being tied up, like Tim Ross trying to undo it, and Tubby comes back in and he says, "You're practically forcing me to treat you badly." Yeah. And and this idea of coming back is as as they do it in the first one. It is almost all of the violence that happens is reaction from george slapping paul in the beginning right and it just continuously escalates in that um again we still don't really see any violence besides against the the two kids there's a little bit of like uh michael pitt punches naomi watts but you're still like your chest level and you don't see the impact into the stomach we also do see parts where uh tubby is like pushing down on tim ross knee like that's not overly violent but it is a painful act um it is it's just it is a fascinating thing of 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 our minds like you said we're we are constantly trying to trick ourselves and when we're not satisfied because it's not uh as visceral as you know we've come to expect does that make us angry upset bored um it's it's a very fascinating movie. I guess I can just go ahead and get in right to my final thoughts here. Uh, what are we going to rate it out of? I was going to say, I believe throughout this month we should use the same rating systems that we use for the previous films. Oh, that's smart. Which would be uh, Broken Eggs for this. I I wish I could give this as high a rating as I did the original. I'm not very far off, but I, I don't think... He captures the same magic that he does in the original. I really do like the original uh, Paul. I think that the the skinny chicken legs, just his demeanor throughout, even when he laughs after pushing Naomi Watts into the lake, I think the original Austrian actor does such a better job at selling that glee. You know, I also don't remember him ever doing the the 
Butthead laugh, or the Beavis laugh. Because they do the, like the Beavis and Butthead laugh at a certain point in the original that I think they don't I feel do like here. That's, in, isn't that when they like push her off? He's no, like, it's I, there. I was hungry. They're inside and they're sitting on the couch when it happens in the original, at the very least. Mm. I didn't hear it this one, but again, I, I kind of mentally maybe have che- had checked out with that point. <laughs> so I don't Right, know. right. <laughs> You would think even maybe they could they would change it up a little bit. I was also thinking like why not Tom and Updated. Jerry? You could also add Itchy and Scratchy. Itchy and Scratchy. I was just thinking in there. Um, you could because uh, I was trying to think about it last night. Like if ten years later, like what's gonna is there something more relevant now than Beavis and Butthead? Which you know I don't think is ever unrelevant, but like Greg, um, they made a comeback. That's true. Multiple. They've they've had multiple comebacks. Right. Um, yeah. But in 2007, I was thinking, like, I don't know, uh, South Park? Like, Cartman and uh, Mr. Hanky? I don't know. Yeah. It still, it still doesn't as do as well. Kenny I still and, think Kenny and Car- would have been Kenny a good and one. Cartman. Kenny and Cartman. Because one of them is, like, the nihilist, like, you know, uh, right. sociopathic sort Cartman of thing. Cartman would have been Michael Pitt. And yes. And Kenny would have been. Kenny, the, the uh, punching bag, the one that gets killed. Yeah repeatedly yeah. right and then comes back from right death. yeah hey right? Kenneke, you fucked up man you should have made a kenny and cartman <laughs> i think you said Henneke fucked up in the last episode as yeah, well yeah. Or, or something uh-huh. along the this one hey, no, hey, it's I... that he, it was that you said he was a fucking nerd and he is yes that's true i mean that's still true <laughs> look i'm a fucking nerd it's not that bad of an insult you know <laughs> <laughs> i i um i get what he's saying I appreciate the creation of uh, something for Americans because we're so dumb, we're not going <laughs> to read for an hour and 50 minutes. We'd rather have it in English giving to us. Um, I, I think Tim Roth was, was kind of a mistake. He, he does look the part at certain times, uh, but that original actor just, it, it's hard to touch. It's hard to touch a lot of that original and they they try they don't do as good of a job i'm gonna go 3.7 broken eggs very nice Um, my original was (laughs) 4.2 i believe your original was too even yeah so the floor is yours greg uh well i want to go back real quick to talking about leopold and the because after i read about them as the inspirations for um, these two characters, I do think I it did lead me down some more interesting avenues of thought about them and about his use of characters like these in this movie. But these two men, they um, genuinely believe themselves to be ubermensches in the uh, Nietzschean sense. And so above, like, you know, the law and basically thinking like, hey, the universe will provide for us and whatever we do can't be wrong because we are just inherently better than everybody else um why not yes exactly why not and extending that to the idea of they have power over the reality of the film very interesting doing it by with their remote control kind of stupid still (laughs) you know what i mean there's a way you could pull it off to be so much better but um when do you uh, do you think if it had been like gremlins 2 like we cut outside of the film, and he's like in the projection booth or some, you know. Yeah, hey, we have to get what? Hulk Hogan to make the movie like progress further. I rewatched Gremlins the other day. Uh, I would have loved that, by the way. Would have been great. 
I, I rewatched Gremlins the other day, and those are also movies that are, are kind of weirdly in a much less direct and much less like you know um, thoughtful way about our craving for violence and mayhem, right? Like the uh, Gremlins are consumerism. What's I consumerism feel. for sure? But or just the idea that of we want this stuff in our movie. And while Gremlins is leaning into it and delivering on what we want, Haneke is like pulling back from what we what we want, right? The violence of it all. And judge and like doubling down on the commentary on it. Where but I think there is something interesting to that idea of like we have these these two these creatures, right? <laughs> that on the surface look innocent and, you know, kind of like cutesy in a way right but sure. then they reveal this darker side of them but do we enjoy this darker side coming out and like I, whatever now i'm suddenly comparing this to gremlins and gremlins 2 well I, I you know I, there's a point to that like you yeah do we not cheer when that we love uh, the gremlins killing people in that first one yeah right it, when when that woman who's been mean Right. References Mrs. like Deagle. I'm gonna hang a dog. Yeah, Mrs. it's Deagle, one of the yeah. it's one of the best when moments of the fucking movie. Out. She gets launched out the window. Or just yeah. even Dick Miller, as lovable as Dick Miller is, is being a bit of a racist dickhead in that first movie. And so yeah. when he gets crushed by the plow, it, it's revealed to die, of course. But it's but we're also like ha- yeah, it's like a big triumphant moment. It's the first time that the Gremlin score really kicks in and you hear that fucking Yeah, that fantastic oh, Jerry Goldsmith score. Such yeah. a good score. So anyway, I, I don't know how I started talking about the Gremlins. I was talking about the real life murderers, Leopold and Loeb. It was they me. Said... I brought up Gremlins too. <laughs> okay. Well, hey, I, I don't feel as bad then going off on a tangent. Um, so when they were caught, they talked about their aspirations to commit a perfect crime. Neither claimed to have looked forward to the killing, but Leopold admitted interest in learning what it would feel like to be a murderer. He was disappointed to note that it, he felt the same as ever. Uh, which is so fucking chilling to me, that sentiment. Um, but that idea of we didn't look forward to doing this, which is what Peter claims in this movie too, right? Like, you're forcing me to do this. I don't enjoy this, right? I'm. This is just as hard for me as it is for you. But you're you making this, it harder for me You're making it well. harder. But the sense that he is beholding to, in a meta sense, he is beholden to his role as this character, right? Whereas Peter, or sorry, Paul is taking joy in it and is, seems to have a, a pleasure in being this and being in control and being this violent piece of shit. Paul is just as much a slave or Pete. I keep fucking this up. Peter is just as much a slave to his fate as the family is. You know what I mean? He is cast in this role as the murderer and there's nothing he can do about it. He's got to see it through to the end. Like, um, there's so much to this movie. I do find interesting. It does call into question so many, like, uh, fascinating, like psychological, questions that violent media like raises about human psychology and things like that i just think as a movie haneke ends up giving us too much of it you know what i mean to the point where it kind of calls into the point there's an interesting point to all of this but it also reveals a pointlessness to me that i find vaguely contradictory i don't know Especially when you're rewatching a remake of the of the movie you saw previously, and it's not as good. It's just barely not as good. There's a both a point to it and a pointlessness. That I think that kind of confounds me. 
Um, I mean, and as you say that, I mean, that's just how I honestly feel about life is like there is points to it, but it is almost, you know, overall, it's kind of yeah. pointless. And I think maybe that's something that this gets at is that like, okay, yes, some of what maybe what you're saying is true, but it also just kind of bums me out in a, in a way I don't appreciate. I don't know. And maybe that reveals a weird immaturity in myself that I'm not willing to face the truth about certain do things. You, do but, you need a happy-go-lucky ending? Like, even not, not, The Strangers, I'm just there's no happy-go-lucky ending for that. Like, Slumber Party Massacre 2, I'm just thinking of the Home Invasion ones, but Slumber right. Party Massacre 2, like, Courtney kills the killer, but then is in a mental institution. Yeah. Don't Breathe 2, like, the little girl, she has the best ending. Stephen Lang's probably still alive. It's one of these things so where it's, it's that's like, a happy ending. And Hanneke would argue with me that it's not harmless. But it's one of these things where it's like, I feel like the way I enjoy violent stuff in movies is mostly harmless. Um, I genuinely do think that. The fact that I do find, um, for lack of a better word, joy in violent movies, right? Because they are so fun sometimes, because it can be so, like, affecting. That I get a little upset when Haneke's like, hey, aren't we all sick pieces of shit for liking this stuff? And I'm like, well, yeah, I guess, but why did you have to say it? You know, like, I understand it. <laughs> Do you and feel maybe... <laughs> that it desensitizes you? Even thinking uh, of, like... There... No, to real no, violence? This... I don't think so. I don't think so. Because... I... The times I do see violence in the real world, I see a real-life injury. You know what I mean? You see a real car crash. You see somebody on the side of the street clearly struggling. I don't think it's affected my empathy for that stuff. Because I find those things just as disturbing and upsetting. And, like, um, you know, I, f I feel like I read articles about violence in the real world and it still affects me. You read about another mass shooting and you're like, well, this is just as fucking... Horrifying. But that's what I was going to get to. Even not to bring it down so much, but even recently right. there was like a Mall of America shooting. It was like yeah. one dead, two injured, and you go, "Well, it could have been worse." And it's just there, the automatic first thing you go when we when after we've seen such hor yeah. like horrifying. Once you like seventeen dead preschoolers. Once you have I, like thirty children in Texas, like everything seems like well, that's better than that, I guess. See, I think that's interesting. I think there's a distinct difference between violence in movies and TV and in fiction versus violence in reality. I think there's something inherently different to that. You know what I mean? I have seen so many people in movies get shot, but you can still see it again in a movie and, I don't know, I'd be impressed by it, be, you know, repulsed by it. But you're right, in real life, that does occasionally have a desensitized if effect. If you see like, it in real life, is your mind not going to go for a second and compare it to all the other versions that I you've seen in the past of people being shot? I, and I don't know. I've never seen someone shot. But it is it is a legitimate question that I think is being brought up in this story of right. reality, our reactions to violence, the media versus the real world. Yeah. I keep distracting you from giving a score. I'm sorry. But you're making me think. Like, I think that's which, I know. what's fucking interesting about this fucking stupid movie that I don't like. I swear I don't <laughs> like it. But it, it, it has stuff that is so thoughtful and uh, 
it is doing what I want movies to do, which is fucking ask questions and raise points. And he didn't have to just do this for a paycheck. Have, right. And have the director express his ideas and thoughts and philosophies through the medium of film and filmmaking and play with the form and all this shit. I really appreciate that. I just think that as a fucking movie, it does not <laughs> satisfy me. You know what I mean? And makes me upset in a way that I don't enjoy. Like, it's like because it's so well done in some regards and is lacking in some others, it just begins up a frustrating experience for me. But I think I am going to go higher. I, You know what? I'll, I'll give it a bigger bump than I even initially planned. I'll go like 2.7. Um, because wow. I do think even if I do not like these movies, ultimately, at the end of the day, I can't really see myself ever putting them on again anytime soon. I do think people should watch them. They are, they are to the point where it's like, well, if you think you can, you know, you can deal with some, some pretty gnarly stuff and the potential for being personally insulted by the director, <laughs> then like, you probably should watch them. They are fascinating movies and they brace fascinating points. And they really do talk about things we do need to examine in ourselves. I just think the way they talk about them and ultimately, like, the execution of it is not as good as it should be. Uh, so 2.7 Broken Eggs. Broken um, Eggs, yes. You you made me think of something. There was uh, a, a director personally insulting you. There was, like, some quote <laughs> from Orson Welles in the 70s talking about how the best directors will have no reference to like other films that right. as you like grow up and seeing all these films like you're you're never gonna say anything true i wish i could remember like the quote and i remember like reading that and just being very personally insulted that like <laughs> as much as i love and as much as i've seen like he's he's saying i could not do as great as him i'm supposing i haven't done anything as great but just the fact that he's saying you could never do anything right. because you will always be like referencing empire strikes back or you know jurassic park all these like critical cultural things as you were growing up yeah that the better filmmakers will be ones that like i don't know i've never seen a marvel movie he, it's funny too the way you're saying that like made me think too just like about um what I was saying earlier too about like, okay, maybe you're correct, but the way you're saying it makes me feel bad and I don't like that. You know what I mean? Which just maybe says more <laughs> yeah. about me than anything else. But I think that, I feel like that is partly why people get so upset about Martin Scorsese talking about Marvel, right? It's just because they take that so personally when it's like, well, the fact that you're getting this upset by this one guy's opinion does mean right. maybe there's some self-reflection that has to happen. You know, like, I don't know. And maybe that's generalizing. Maybe that's infantilizing towards people. I don't know. But, like, because there are people out there who genuinely love Marvel movies and think they are great cinema. And, you know, they're absolutely entitled to that opinion. But I think what Scorsese is saying strikes such a hard chord because people feel personally insulted by it. Even if he's not personally insulting people. I don't the know if Haneke that means... Yes, exactly. Where it's like, they have this perspective. Haneke has his own perspective on violence in media that he is just trying to explain through movies right just as scorsese has his own views on marvel that he's explaining in a certain way like i don't know um you're you're quoted from orson wells talking about that because maybe orson is correct in some capacity but the way that he says it 
I don't know, you know. His abrasive nature. His abrasive nature, He always had, yeah. And I think that's part of it with with funny games. There's an abrasive nature to it that just, like, gets under my skin and just makes me, like, kind of bristle, you know, in a way I don't like. And you're scratching yourself raw. Yeah. (laughs) Exactly. Well, uh, that's going to be it for funny games. We're closing the book. We will never cover funny games again. Unless Haneke remakes it a third time. Oh my god, I would love it. <laughs> He's gonna make it Canadian or something. Yes. Timothy Chalamet as Peter. Oh. You get even thinner and thinner each time and you still call him Tubby. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Michael Stolberg <laughs> as George. Oh, there you go. Perfect. Mm-hmm. Um, well, Greg, do you want to tell us about what remake we're going to be watching next week? Yeah, I just realized I'm wearing the, the shirt in the wrong week because hey, hey. Uh, I'm currently wearing an Evil Dead t-shirt. Uh, next week's movie will be Evil Dead 2014, the remake by Fede Alvarez, um, mm-hmm. who will be talking again only a few short weeks after talking about him in Don't Breathe 2. Mm-hmm. And uh, produced by Sam Raimi. Like, he produced had a by big Sam hand. Raimi. Yes. From, from what I remember, yeah. I remember seeing this in theaters and then maybe saw it again like a year ago, two years ago, something like that. Yeah. I have not seen it since maybe 2015 or 2016, somewhere around there. I watched it oh, on wow. DVD at a friend's house and uh, liked it. Um, I have a really good story about seeing it in theaters the first time. I think I talked about it a little bit when we covered the original, but I'll talk about that more next week. Great, great. Uh, well, until then, you can always rate, review, subscribe anywhere you get this podcast. We have both email, weeklypodcastmassacre at gmail.com. We have Twitter and Instagram, both at weeklymassacre. Hit us up. Let us know if uh, you've ever broken eight eggs within like two minutes. <laughs> if, uh, um, uh, let's see, you have any experience with jelly rolls, please let us know. If you can get in contact mm. with Michael Haneke, so we can uh, implore him to make a third Funny Games movie. Funny Games in Space, maybe. I, uh, at this point... You know, <laughs> funny Games in Space. Hit us yeah, up, let like us know. Uh, funny <laughs> Games 3, 3D. Um, Ooh. Where they, like, they, the, the, the golf club comes yes. right at you. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Um, mm-hmm. At this point, I no longer want to just give Michael Haneke a swirly. I want to like shake his hand and then just punch him in the balls or something. You know, <laughs> a little bit of both. Uh, I'm excited for that uh, trilogy box set criterion. I'm February can't. Yeah, come I'll soon check enough. it out. I'll check it out. Haneke absolutely has shit to say, and uh, I respect that. So uh, until next time, don't you have any sense of timing? <laughs> uh, ciao, Bella. Ciao, Bella. One second. There's. Why is my phone playing U2? I was like. That was really bizarre. Sorry. <laughs> Has it been going on the whole time? I don't know. I just. I noticed some weird audio shit on my. Um, on my Audible track. And I was like, but I don't hear anything. And then I faintly heard Bono singing coming from my pocket. I don't know why my phone just started playing U2. That's fucking weird. Sorry. Um, you might pick up some residual U2 in the background wow. there. First 20 minutes, you know, we'll see.